0: Cheeto! What is. Oh. What's going on? Oh, you know, just walking some Forged in Fire. Some Forged in Fire.
1: Uh, They're on season eight right now. It's on TV.
0: Oh, like it's happening live?
1: Yeah, I'm not not watching it live. I just got the history app and use my parents' Hulu and watch the. Like, because they come out, like, you know, a day or two later. So just watch them on there whenever I want.
0: It's kind of funny what these cable channels become with the type of shows they put on given their name like the history channel like i get it could kind of fit in bringing in like information on medieval weapons and stuff like that but
1: there is that but it's also just a historical like weapon creating i mean it doesn't let's see you know, that's how you can take it in there as well mm-hmm, that's true
0: and i always like another good competition show
1: to add to the mix um this is, this is just chocolate but they're making knives instead of food you know
0: yeah that's a good point too
1: um all right well got ourselves a pod to record
0: we're doing on the phone again listeners if you don't like the uh audio quality then too bad get with it suck it five times this is what we have to do to bring you the good news i mean there's no good news this week
1: Actually, there is good news. Glenn Taylor won the lawsuit against him by the minority owner, so he could try to sell before sales. There's no more complications, so uh, we should see it, the deal f- actually finalized and written out in the next couple of weeks. I think is what was they, what they're saying. So, A Rod and whatever his name is, Lore, are gonna officially be minority owners. Hopefully in a couple nice. weeks.
0: that yeah. is good news but she was it like one didn't. of the other minority owners owners that was upset about how the transaction was just being like followed through with or like
1: there's a rule and he i mean he he signed it it's, it was part of the purchase agreement to be a minority owner that when the owner glenn taylor of the majority owner glenn taylor sells his shares the minority owners have a certain amount of time to sell their shares before that deal is finalized this, this minority owner, some Orbach or something, they want to s- potentially want to sell their shares right now because of that. And Glenn Taylor is saying you can't. And then they're saying, but you're selling the team right now. And his thing was, well, I'm not selling the team. I'm selling part of my shares, but it's only a minority part. So it's not really selling it. And apparently that held up for whatever. I don't know. I don't know the you know, minutia and whatnot, but...
0: Well, that is good news, that everything can follow through, and with hopefully no more speed bumps. It's another wrench thrown into the, uh like, of course it's going to be difficult to sell this team, or of course it can't just happen smoothly.
1: Yeah. Well, and then also, here's uh bad news that we saw today, and it's not really bad news, but it, but it is bad. Anthony Edwards was selected for the Team USA Select Camp, which is the people, they're going to go with the team, but they're there to practice with them. Uh, he sprained his ankle today. Oh. <laughs> Shout out former... Timberwolves player Dario Sarge towards ACL in Game One of the NBA Finals. That really sucks. Yeah,
0: that's ugh, that does suck. Not that he's super vital to Phoenix, but he just provides uh, provides um somebody who can kind of come in and play that small ball five or four and just another.
1: Option. All right, Greg, what are we going over? Let's do this quick so we can cut to the music.
0: Today, Wolves fans, we're gonna be going over more KG A to Z. We're gonna actually jump back in time and go through a few different things of the letters J, and then rounding it off with. Okay, I don't know if there's no, anything else. K. There's nothing for it. it was yet. just Kobe. Kobe was the best part of K and the only important part. Well, then we're doing I think bel- I believe three things from Jay. We're going to be talking about um, LeBron James, LeBron James, and uh, a specific date and time known as June twenty eighth, nineteen ninety five, which was the draft day that Kevin Garnett was selected by the Minnesota <laughs> Timberwolves fifth overall pick.
1: Also, Greg, you're bad at this. We're going to slightly recap Game one of the NBA Finals and do our kind of previews that we would have done if we would have recorded before the game one
0: so that's what we're going to be covering today but uh first you know we gotta drop the music All right, you got to be <laughs> content maestro dropping the beats properly. You
1: could just pull the power trip, admit we suck at our jobs. A, we aren't getting paid for this, that's not really a job, but we suck at our jobs. And B, we don't care that we suck at our jobs because you enjoyed listening to us, fans. Boom. We suck
0: at this unpaid internship.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Well, anyways, let's dive into it. More KG A to Z. All
1: yeah, right.
0: The podcast Bible that we worship here and we like to talk about, especially during this off season because. Provides a lot of interesting content for you guys, hopefully. So, the first thing we're going to be talking about with the letter J is the LeBron James. First Kevin, off, just I just want to say, it. It. fuck yeah. LeBron. Oh, yeah, for sure. That's and that fuck, to say fuck Space Jam 2. That's not going to be a good That movie. was terrible. So, anyways, KG's relationship with LeBron seems to be kind of one from more of an understanding and like empathetic perspective, just because, you know, they were both yeah. young players that were drafted out of high school and obviously playing for small mm-hmm. markets now. LeBron being, you know, the famous kid from Akron playing in a hometown small market on top of that adds an extra layer to it. Um, KG obviously is not from um but still had a lot of pride playing here too and and Kevin Garnett talks about that I'm just oh, being yeah. the player who loved to play for the small market team and have that intense loyalty and like wanting to bring like a championship to a city that just hadn't had that yet
1: And even more than that too um they both struggled with not really having the kind of success they personally and what a lot of obviously fans wanted uh professionally so they didn't get you know rings and like KG lost how many times in a row in the first round of the playoffs mm-hmm. before winning a series? Obviously, in 2003, 2004 season, LeBron was the same way where I mean, he didn't miss the playoffs for super long. It was the first maybe year two whatever it was but then it's just not not getting to the promised land and unfortunately for lebron more than kg kg faced it as well these expectations that are slightly ridiculous like hey, for lebron win a ring before michael jordan did in his seventh season (laughs) yeah yeah not
0: super fair to be compared to him but whatever with way less of a, a supporting cast to do it with too and on top of that too kg like continues to go into um Just the fact that, like, he almost, like, he kind of feels bad for LeBron and that pressure, like you said, that was put on and gets to kind of see LeBron's ascension, you know, as he goes from the Cavs and getting squashed each year in the playoffs to... 12 when he left for the heat um, oh, no, no, he, sorry he left after the 2010
1: playoffs so the 2010-11 season was his first year in miami
0: kg just gets to talk about how him going to the heat is something that he doesn't see in his mind as like the most villainous move is like what people have said and obviously that gets overshadowed by like kd going to golden state and so on and so forth with all these super teams being built but uh kg kind of touches on that too and just saying like well why wouldn't you want to see something like that like you don't You don't want to see a great player like LeBron James be one of the players that ends up being, you know, one of the all time greats, but just never had a ring like uh, Charles Barkley.
1: Or Um, he's in the finals now, but Chris Paul.
0: Yeah, Chris Paul, too. Like, you don't want to see great players be put on these lists. So I think that's kind of a fair statement to kind of balance out the super team argument. And then, you know, KG just being a big wrestling fan, as he is, added that like he appreciates just the sheer spectacle of these super teams, just from an entertainment standpoint, and well, I, he also made I that, that too that. from
1: the announcement itself. So the the whole or going into a like, stadium for no reason and announcing it there, and then doing the not one ring, not two rings, LeBron we get it. You can count fine, but he also <laughs> from a wrestler that was that was mostly talking about for that is because of what kind of like circus act that almost was, and also he KG also says that he didn't mind LeBron going there because. Then he got this essentially stop being the villain, and LeBron was now the villain, and he gets to play the good guys that
0: gets to upset them potentially. Uh huh. And they're looked at as probably the lesser trio compared to the potential of the Miami trio, like D Wade, Bosh, and LeBron coming together. Like I know they battled and they went toe to toe a lot, but um, (coughs) they just they naturally become the villains in that in that position too. Like you said, I think he also likes it too because then like obviously KG feeds off the intensity he's talking about that first game in that 2010 and 11 season. And they smacked, he said, smacked him down 88 to 80, which isn't much of a smack down. But, and then he said the whole garden was just lit up and chanting like overrated. And like, he just said that kept rolling and rolling. And so it's got to feel good to not only like see this super team come out and you're playing well against them, but then have your crowd, have your back and just like beating down this team that's supposed to, you know, just kind of wallop through everybody. Yeah. It was
1: kind of weird how this went from being first of all, players who don't have rings to then about LeBron being a disappointment, to then about the Celtics and how they messed up and traded away Kendrick Perkins, (laughs) and it pissed off the team, and they sucked. Yeah, yeah, they lost to the Heat, and that was the 2010-11 season. And then 2011-12 season, then it became back to actually LeBron and praising him and about how he talked about the specific series, and I I think it was the Eastern Conference Finals, the Celtics lost the first two, then won the next three. And KG specifically talks about Game 3 where... He and Paul Pierce had good games. And then he just said, then game five or game six, where LeBron put up 45 on 19 and 26 shooting. And he had 15 boards. And then he said, game seven, everyone in Miami plays super well. And this is a, a weird, weird flow, like a roller coaster on
0: this. Like, where am I
1: going with this? And then eventually got there.
0: I think he clearly has a lot of mixed emotions on his relationship and playing time with LeBron James. I mean it makes sense right like you respect somebody of of LeBron's talent and athleticism you have to you have to acknowledge that especially playing against it in such a competitive way but at the same time you got to feel bad about like how your own franchise handles things because of how you could have maybe done better or beat him like it's uh yeah you appreciate it but you still want to beat him at the end of the day because it makes you feel better
1: um yeah that's kind of everything I or no I guess one last thing to touch on for LeBron KG says that Whichever, whichever one he wants, the uh, Lakers, Heat, and Cavs should all offer LeBron 20% ownership just based off huh. of how he changed the organizations.
0: I think that's fair. Especially Miami and, well, Cleveland, <laughs> it's obviously. Not, for...
1: It's not fair. I
0: mean, it's a fair thing to say. I don't think it's fair necessarily when you crunch the numbers.
1: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs>
0: Just like on the impact level, yeah, I get it, but <laughs> I think I don't, I don't think KG's in any position to be talking about how ownership works. He clearly doesn't know how to handle it or make his way into a one particular organization. So, yeah, but
1: is that is that really his fault, or is that uh, Taylor's fault, or oh. is that just the fact that he is being particular in what what franchise he wants to buy into? Because if you just like walked up and said, "Hey, Boston, can I get to be a can I be a one percent owner?" Do you really think you are going to turn him down? I don't, I don't think they would.
0: Yeah. It's just a matter of what do you, how much, I guess, percentage control he'd want, what he actually wants to be doing with his shares. <laughs> like, is it more of a memorabilia thing, like a nod to that organization and you're contributing money and shares? Well,
1: It's also just learning, like you can use it as a stepping stone to, yeah. Hey, cool. eventually he wants to, he wants to be more than a minor, minority owner <clears throat> in order to get there. You got to get in the right circles. So it's stepping into that ring and you're saying, Hey. I'm here, guys. I want to learn because there's stuff you have to learn. And then just had that experience that the next time it's like, oh, hey, now I want to go buy the Timberwolves after, say, you know, 10 years from now or whatever. Glenn Taylor doesn't sell it now and sells it then. Maybe KG has a little bit of a cooler head in it as far as how he feels towards Glenn Taylor. But also though, it's just like, how does the NBA go? No, you can't. You can't buy it. Like, we're not really going to have your back in this. It's like, no, you were just an owner of the Celtics for 10 years, even if it was 1%. And, I mean, he can obviously increase it. He's just approach other minority owners and buy them, buy them all. It's
0: fine. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, that's everything I wanted to say for LeBron. You got anything else you want to add?
0: Nope. I think that's it. We can move on to MJ. The great Michael Jordan. The GOAT. Kevin Garnett just kind of breaks it down to the first game that he played against Michael Jordan in his career um which was february 27th 1996 the t wolves were playing the bulls at the united center no, and- no i don't
1: know if this is his first game against mj it's his first game in chicago so uh, but it still might be the first time but i just i just know it was the first game in chicago for him
0: which is like important given his history there and like playing those games of basketball there throughout the summer and working his way up uh, talent wise and skill wise and so it's kind cool. of it's like a homecoming for him in a way up, oh top yeah. of playing michael jordan <laughs>
1: Well, and then on top of it too. So he he mentions everything you just said, but he also says that a close friend of his who was a senior in high school got into a car accident or a motorcycle accident the yeah. night before. So he didn't sleep because he was in the hospital with him. I can't remember the dude's name anymore, but uh, yeah, he just talked about how like you know he was in there and <clears> he <throat> was talking to see his you know his buddy like that, and he's a pretty good basketball player. There's potential talk about him going pro, like like Kobe Bryant, uh for, right out of high school and stuff like that. So like. It was a little bit of a you know different different scenario than even like everything because like not only is it your first time back in Chicago or you know playing in Chicago, also you're playing Michael Jordan against the Bulls who just won a championship. It's just one a lot. two and they're
0: trying to win that sixth total. Trying yeah, to repeat because this is the '96 year, so it's the year they go 72 and 10. Of course, he doesn't know that at the time, but when you go 72 and 10, you're playing pretty damn well the whole year. KG just kind of talks about how pumped he was to be at that game and like. Being there for the starting lineup announcements, because I'm sure that's something he thought of and fantasized about like while he was playing in Chicago. And just like Ray Clay, the PA announcer for the Bulls, he said he just got chills down his spine when he started announcing the Bulls starting lineups. And we were 16-37 uh, and 37 with no chance of making the playoffs. The Bulls were 49-6 and six and undefeated at the home. But he's like if we could win this game it would feel like a season success no matter what and i would agree like if like with the wolves playing the warriors the year they went 73 and 9 like we were one of those losses that we dished out to the warriors honestly watching that game felt so good like that was one of the things i could hang my hat on at the end of the season mm-hmm. so, No, nope, we beat them and I, I believe it was actually like
1: but hey greg remember mm-hmm. on a little podcast called uh the House of KG. When we talked about the, our Tim rolls from this year sweeping the Jazz and how <laughs> no one else did that, <laughs> we—it's yeah, it's right. literally some little things. It's little things that you can exactly said hang your hat on. Uh-huh. Like it doesn't—it doesn't matter, but like maybe it can be a turning point. Like hey, it proves even if it was last year, you can beat good teams. So it, it's definitely something. You're definitely right. It's definitely something that you know it, it can be a building point.
0: Even growing up, like, I remember there were, like, always those cake-eater suburbs. Like, we'd play, like, Wayzata or, like, Minnetonka or, like, uh, Eden Prairie, and they were always phenomenal. Like, they always had just, like, people that were, like, a foot taller than us somehow, and it's like, can you buy, like, extra height? Can you buy, like... (laughs) <laughs> you best in growth somewhere at the store like but it always felt good like when we would maybe get one win on them in a tournament throughout the year or something like that anyway like rolling on with this the game is pretty tight kg had, had mentions that like michael jordan is shooting pretty ice cold throughout the game and it's back and forth back and forth and he said the bulls are only up by two so, like midway through the third the bulls have to call a timeout And then KG is trying to continue to pump up Ryder and tell him, like, Michael can't guard you. Like, keep going at him. He says, that motherfucker can't guard you. Keep killing him. He don't know what to do with you. And then KG, of course, you know, being young and dumb, but also fired up, too, was yelling so loud that he says, Jordan couldn't help but hear me. RJ was, like, trying to, like talk to mj and like like apologize and be like young kids don't know the rules like told jordan like trying to chill the situation because he knows like michael's just gonna turn on that switch and uh kg was like there's no chilling for me i didn't give a fuck he said stay on his ass i screamed he can't handle you and he said that's when jordan hit me with the death stare the death stare felt like it went on forever his eyes were locked his eyes were fire his eyes were saying, watch me now. And then Jordan proceeds to score like six points straight in a minute to end the third and then goes on to basically obliterate them. Because that's what Michael Jordan does when you piss him off. Yep. I can't
1: remember the time, but like they pulled KG and JR Ryder. It was, like three minutes left in the fourth. And LeBron came, or not LeBron, Michael Jordan came a little bit later, but he he walked by the bench he looked at KG. And he said, okay, young fella, y'all good? Y'all done? <laughs>
0: oh that's so funny because it's just like he had like unli- what seemed like unlimited amounts of energy you'd probably don't want to piss off michael jordan of anyone or like somebody with unlimited energy but like michael jordan of all people <laughs> and, like and he says like the lesson could be any clear it's just like yep that's one way to learn a lesson like shit talking and then getting it pushed right back in your face by like the greatest player of all time
1: yeah going just, to go, i don't uh, think uh, going away from the gate or wait
0: what do you gotta say greg Oh, I'm just that I'm re watching The Last Dance right now, and just like it's incredible just to see all those different moments where he turned it on just like a switch and was able to just drop 40, 50 plus points consistently. It's just, mm-hmm. amazing.
1: um, yeah. So, another thing that KG mentions is it's not just with Jordan, it's not just his competitive side, there's also a generous side that is not talked up or brought up enough. And he specifically brings up an example of at his very first All Star game. Which he was the youngest player to to make an All Star game since Magic Johnson did it in his rookie season in 1980, and it was halftime. He he goes over. It's like the East dominated the West. It didn't really matter. But at halftime, he noticed MJ changing his shoes, and KG asked him for the shoes. MJ just throws them to him, and he says, and he says, and I think this is hilarious. You can have them, but I ain't signing them. (laughs) (laughs) But like he still just is like, oh yeah, sure. Here's my here's some shoes, and then KG literally says. I built a special place in my house to kind of display him. Mm-hmm. I, like, I I spent way too much time looking at him. Like, I don't want to tell you how much time and he goes. 24, 24 years later, I'm still looking at the shoes, <laughs> but it's just kind of cool. You know, obviously there's a lot of respect um, and I'm sure they're cool shoes. And then it's also like, Hey, they're also from MJ. Like to add on to everything in a free moment, obviously it's an all-star game. So like, you know, you know, it's the best, but like, still he just is like, Oh yeah, sure. Cool. Here we go. Just tosses him the shoes and says, "But I'm not
0: going to sign him." <laughs> it's just like he was funny, but like caring too. Like just to do that, just like pretty nonchalantly, and because he knows like the value, he knew his place and how important he was to the game of basketball, and he knew like these other relationships with these young but also talented people, like Kevin Garnett, coming up with them, and so to show some appreciation just by tossing him the shoes, which might seem like a simple thing listeners are like somebody that like might not play basketball like it's just a pair of shoes what do you think but it's it's the story behind those shoes and when he wore them and just that relationship that you have with those per- that person that that makes it special
1: all right that's everything i wanted to say for
0: mj you got for stuff? sure now we can go on a, a whole other podcast tangent if we wanted to about that so yeah. <laughs> we'll move on to june 28th 1995 and i'll let you take this one
1: all right, so this was obviously the draft night, legitimately of the night for KG. Although he starts kind of talking about stuff before then, he did bring up he, when he wanted to announce that he was going to go pro and you know skip college. He did it. He wanted to do it somewhere where he was comfortable, so he did it at Home Run Pizza. He's like, I didn't do that hotel or I didn't have a press conference, wherever. He's like, I just did that Home Run Pizza because that's where I like, wanted to be or whatever. So it's just kind of cool, obviously taking a little bit of a different route, not making as big of a deal out of it as some people could. Um, and then he talks about a pre-draft workout that he had. Where a bunch of execs were there, uh, like Kevin McHale, Flip Saunders, Pat Riley, uh, Pat Riley, who was the coach and president of the Miami Heat at the time, just got hired. Um, Pat Riley kind of making fun, just says, "Oh, I now I got to watch some high school kid. Why am I even here?" That was because KG was just like trying to calm himself down, so he just like was shooting free throws, just kind of doing whatever. And then at that point, he it kind of triggered him, and he did a little bit of freak out, and he said he sprinted, and dribbled on the court, and just did a nasty slam dunk. And then that was kind of like the start of the actual workout the execs want to see how high he could jump at one point in time. So they, <clears throat> they have the trainer guy. I can't remember. He's, he ends up being a coach in a couple of places. He just starts lobbing them passes and each one's higher and higher and higher. And on the fifth one, which each dunk getting more ferocious and, you know, crazier after the fifth one, KG dunks it. And then he calls out, Riley saying, now you know why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> the confidence that he had. And then, uh, he even said at the, like Riley says, like, you know, kind of talked back to him, whatever, like whatever. Um, I'm just like, kind of realized oh this guy's actually pretty good mm-hmm. and obviously he knew that you don't just go to some high schoolers workout like they everyone knew he was going to be a, a high draft pick because of the, they had seen some tape they knew his potential but he does state at the workout though he wasn't told at the time but flip saunders and kevin McHale were only going there as a decoy they had when they went there apparently pretty much no intentions of drafting him they wanted a different player to drop to them then the, after the workout though flip saunders said it was his, the best individual workout he had ever seen he, he's been in he, he's been in basketball for a while so he's gonna have seen a lot a lot of these and he's obviously super impressed well um, when
0: you're when you're kg coming out of high school too and just like really the only other time besides high school that people could have seen you play was in these random streets of Chicago like you're not gonna have as big of a following maybe as you know the four people ahead of you in the draft class or however many people that had that year in college or whatever
1: well and there's also for him though the, like there's still the nike camps they get recruiters um yeah, a, the tournaments get recruiters like he does still have a good chance to get seen it's just not in this kind of intimate of a scenario where the, this is, this isn't just a gym packed with people watching you know ten kids play basketball against each other. They're there just to watch him. And yeah, they don't send they don't send the top scout. They send
0: themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's more of just um, workouts <laughs> and workouts and workouts rather than you know traditional college routes that we see.
1: Um, so next, KG had to do like uh, the like combine stuff or whatever. we like you all know, the went all the measurements and everything, and he said, and I just couldn't believe this because he's. He's been seven foot. He says it here, he he intentionally wants to be listed at six eleven because once he hits seven foot, everyone thinks of you as a center. Mm-hmm. Obviously that's changed now. But he said his weight, he couldn't have, he said he couldn't have weighed more than 175 pounds at the time. That's ridiculously <laughs> skinny because he's seven feet tall.
0: Yeah, that's 175, you said? That's ten pounds heavier than me. and I'm six foot. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I believe that. That's very skinny. I mean, even looking at these pictures that are throughout the book, yes, he was a very skinny rookie. Like, he was always just a a more skinny and lean person, but I don't – man, that's so skinny. I don't know if I believe that.
1: Um, Yeah, so then at the – but at the comment, though, he talks about kind of getting hazed a little bit, where there are people that were like, oh, you didn't go to college, you missed on this. Oh, you missed on that, blah, blah, blah. And they're trying to – kind of like, whether they're doing it on purpose or not, they're kind of bringing him down a little bit um, because he was kind of thinking what – what potentially could I be missing? Um, And then leading up to the to the draft, I don't know if it was the same day or whatever. Like, he kind of makes it seem like it was the same day. He got a call from his coach uh, his, at the Farragut Academy, and he essentially tells him, hey, you can go to college if you want. All you, like, you got your ACT and SATs, scores back. They're more than high enough. You can go anywhere you want, so you can play anywhere you want. KG kind of talks about how it, it brought a moment of doubt, like, should i go to college that was something he'd always dreamed of he talks about previously in the book how he's such a big fan of some of these college players like that were there like when he was in that like 14 to 16 range so not too much older than himself <clears throat> and he talks about that and then like eventually just said nah, this is this is what i'm this is what i meant to this is what i want to do so a little bit of doubt but obviously overcame it to
0: go on and do the draft well, and he mentions, too, like, well, I was already on the cover of Sports Illustrated at the time with the headline that says, like, ready or not, three weeks ago, Kevin Garnett went to his high school prom. Next week, he'll be a top pick in the NBA draft. So it's like you have these very, very conflicting thoughts. It's just like, oh, well, this is maybe one, one dream and goal that I have is to get into college, whether it's to actually get, an, like, get the educational side of it or just play uh, college basketball. But then you have that the other dynamic of, like, well, no, look at how much attention I already have the stories that we mentioned on the previous pods of like the workout with uh, Scotty and Michael, you know, you do all these other workouts too leading up to the draft and the combine. And it's just like, well, you have all these other things saying, no, I'm more than ready to go right now. Mm-hmm. So, so that's just gotta be a tough decision, especially to hear literally on draft day, just like a, like a weird coincidence type of thing. Like, are you sure? Cause this is your last chance.
1: Yep. Um Okay. So then, the draft order ended up being number one, Joe Smith, which is kind of funny because the Wolves and Joe Smith did that shady under the table deal, and uh, that screwed the Wolves over for a while. Oh, yeah, that was uh, great. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you could um, pick that up, <laughs> And Katie just says Joe Smith made sense. Everyone said he was going to be a superstar in the league. Um, number two <clears throat> ended up being Antonio McDice, And <clears throat> once again, nothing, nothing kind of bad to say about him. Number three, Jerry Stackhouse. And then number four, was uh, the Washington Wizards or Bull Wizards? Um, and they drafted Rasheed Wallace. Mm-hmm. And this one, he actually talks about how he kind of wanted to go there potentially. Um, he wanted to see George Miraasian, who's I mean, seven foot four, or seven foot six, or whatever. <clears throat> but he talks about how, like, he's a center, and then they had a backup center already um, on the roster. And then, like, he didn't really think they need another big man. And I, I don't know if he meant it or not, but it kind of seemed like when they took Rasheed Wallace, that was kind of like a like WTF moment, like why wouldn't they want me ahead of him?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but next up was number five, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They drafted him. It's the best draft pick they've ever made. And yeah, that's kinda awesome. Uh, one thing though he was pretty pissed, even though he says he respects him and everything, he said Ernie Johnson though saying when he got drafted that the reason why KG was there and and getting drafted in the be a draft at you know the age of 18 was because his test scores were not high enough and that cemented the legacy for kg as not being smart but he had to do with for years down the road yeah because yeah. of something one flippant comment not necessarily meant to be malicious but it, i mean it kind of was you know but it wasn't meant to be like you know like to really affect him that much and it kind of happened that way though
0: yeah it's just one of those things that like it's a media talking point that probably wasn't meant to be malicious or have malintent, but like it still does because, you know, we, we, even then, like people live in a time of sound bits and mm-hmm. well, and it sucks too. Cause like he literally heard the day of the draft. Like we just mentioned like that phone call of like, no, you actually, your scores are good enough. So what is he just, as he's walking up to the podium and gets drafted, like, no, actually I don't need to be here. I could have gone to college. Like that's not a great message to send either. Yeah. <laughs> already chosen to, be selected no just obviously a very very important day in our franchise history and it's it, i'm glad it was one of the lengthier sections in the book just to get kg's whole perspective on it just some different things of happening like leading up to it you know obviously that moment with the phone call hearing about his uh test scores being good enough like it's it's got to be a pretty surreal and heavy moment for him and so I, w- I was glad that we got to get that out of the book from him mm-hmm, same. but i think that wraps it up for uh for jay yep yes it does all
1: right so next up let's kind of go over i guess game one a little bit
0: and also just talk about kind of our finals preview even though it's late technically <laughs> yeah so game one like both teams looked really really solid and i just wanted to like start with um prefacing this with it's exciting and refreshing to see not only the Phoenix Suns who I was rooting for all year to be in the, the finals, but just like another team in Milwaukee, just like two refreshing teams and franchises that, you know, <laughs> there is no LeBron James this year. There is no Steph Curry. We keep mm-hmm. hearing those types of things, but it, it actually is refreshing just to see different players in the finals. You get a different um, type of pace between these two different teams and, um, and so it's just this first game, both teams looked really solid. That first half was really, really um, fun and entertaining. And it was just a strong performance between both teams. Like Giannis looked pretty commanding on both ends, even though he still only looks like 80 to 90% to me. Like he was bullying See, and came out right I away. With the in the first bullying.
1: quarter, he looked like 93% good.
0: Mm-hmm. And then the
1: second quarter, it was like 88%, 80, yeah, 85% I... maybe. You know, like around there, we're like, and then, it, and the third quarter is worse than that, and the fourth quarter is worse than that. He was, just got. Just worse a thing, maybe I don't know. Um, yeah, it just it. I, maybe it's just I don't know why he would. It seemed like he might have gotten a little winded. He it took he took seven days off. I don't think he should be winded, Gina, know, from that. I don't think he would lose your breath that much. Yeah, but well, I mean, maybe we'll see in game two with two extra
0: days off. Well, my, my quick before we continue recapping the game is like, do you think Milwaukee should have waited to clear him? Like wait the additional game, but I'm like, it's the finals and like, there's no bigger stage in the moment. And so like, I feel like at this point, you don't like, you don't want to forego playoff games in general, let alone the finals. So. Mm-hmm. um, I, I feel the same way that you do. I mean, I, not without,
1: not, without knowing the actual medicals and not knowing you know how much there was to actually rehab and everything to get him to, to that point. I don't know. And and realistically, do they know, hey, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get any better than what you were in the first quarter. And like, it's not probably not going to last the whole game. It's, I mean, just look at what happened to all Embiid. And, and I think he played too many minutes myself, but he looked like shit every single fourth quarter of like every single game this postseason. season. And <clears throat> maybe it's just like, he can't do it for a full game because of how insanely he goes at it. And it yeah. really is. It, it's insane what the hell that guy does.
0: Which I guess just kind of answers the question in itself where it's just like, Yeah, if you're gonna get a great first quarter and even a like a solid first half out of Giannis by just playing him, you can't, you have to do it, right? Like you're not just gonna wait an additional game just so you can maybe get a third quarter, maybe, or like a maybe a full game. Like I feel like too much is on the line there. You kind of just have to do it and accept the results. Yeah, that yeah, that's how I feel.
1: Um but it also doesn't I mean, realistically are you going to play someone else in his in his spot? Did they have a decently big rotation, but like all they do is increase minutes, so it doesn't hurt to have him active every game now. And yeah, sure, maybe you play him less and you play more Bobby Portis, you know, in his stead, and more uh, what's his face uh, PJ Tucker, you know, it's okay. But like Giannis wasn't the problem. Giannis wasn't necessarily the. I mean, you could say he was the reason they lost because you know he wasn't himself, but like. If you're reliant on him that much, then you're not going to win because no one's
0: 100 percent anymore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, that that makes sense. Continuing on with uh, just on Phoenix finished that second quarter really strong too. Like it was it was a back and forth game the first half, but like they just kind of closed it out. I think they had a 12 point lead at halftime or something like that. I um, was eight. Crowder didn't play like great offensively either, but in that first half too, I noticed he contributed greatly, like with defensive switches and rebounding, and kind of being able to stop Giannis at a few different moments. And Mm -hmm. he just provided kind of that extra lift, even though I think he was zero for eight from the field and zero for five on threes. Um, Something like that. Still came out, grabbed like ten boards. He just played his role. Um, One thing. The Suns didn't necessarily play great in the second quarter.
1: Chris Paul played great in the second quarter.
0: Chris Paul played great in the second and amazing in the third.
1: Yeah. Um, he, I was kind of worried about him, honestly, after the first quarter. I was like, ah, okay, what's going on with him? Like, zero points. He doesn't seem like he's, like, he's all there. I don't mm. know why he's, he wasn't, like, being super aggressive. And then it, then it flipped in the second quarter. And then, yeah, then the third quarter came, and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he, he's putting this game away by himself.
0: It honestly seemed like a little bit of nerves. Like, I get he's a 16 year vet and it's Chris Paul, but like your first finals appearance has still got to be a little nerve wracking, even if you've been in the playoffs before.
1: Yeah, I definitely think that could be it. Um, I'm not going to attribute it to that because I'm not going to want the ghost of Chris Paul coming and kind of beat my face <laughs> or something. But... Yeah, that too. Um, but for whatever reason, he the second and third quarter, he figured it out and they didn't even need him in the fourth quarter, really. I mean, <laughs>
0: No, and, like, this, the third quarter really showed um, not only that, like, I think Chris Paul a fantastic point guard. Like, that is obviously und- obvious and doesn't need to be said. Um, but, like, he really helped Phoenix open up the lead. I think they were winning by over 20 at one point in the third. And, like, the Suns really, like, they never looked back from there. Like, Milwaukee had runs and moments, but they never really had, like, defensive answers for Phoenix. Um, and they weren't able to, like, get much of an offensive rhythm themselves. Like, specifically on the defensive <laughs> end, yeah. was able to take uh, them apart with the pick and roll. Yeah. Like Chris Paul went to town working the mid range. He, I think there were like two or three different lobs from multiple different players to eight. And, um,
1: yep.
0: Devin Booker yeah, book came in and did you when, when, uh, Chris Paul wasn't running the show.
1: Um, yeah. But yeah, so sons one, um, this score I don't think I think you're right. I think the first half if we see that more and I think we will I don't think we're gonna see another quite blowout type of thing like that wasn't I don't end up being like a seven or eight point win but like it was it was cut to that but like it wasn't no it wasn't like a 12 point win never mind um it just like it it, it felt close than it actually was but it'll be really interesting to see how um, Milwaukee adapts because I mean they got torn apart in game one against the Hawks, and part of it was how they utilized Lopez. And this is a very similar thing where Lopez couldn't do anything to guard Chris Paul, and that's why he torched him when he did because they uh, wouldn't pull Lopez out of the game.
0: Yeah, Milwaukee's so. going to have to figure out how, how how, and when to run small and how they want to be switching on these pick and rolls. Otherwise, Phoenix is just going to be able to kind of go to that well a lot and take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, okay. Enough for yeah. three recap. Let's just do a preview of everything. Uh-huh. Um, team related, obviously. I'm gonna start with the Bucks. Then you do the Bucks. Then you do the, Bucks, you do the Suns. And I'll do the Suns. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So Bucks. First off, don't trust them at all. I literally don't trust them at all. They should have slept the freaking Hawks. I don't care. It's Hawks' best players in this third freaking year, and you have Drew Holiday supposedly like the best perimeter defender in the in the league. No, you should not have. You should not have gone seven with the Hawks. Plain and simple. Um, and then in my opinion, I don't think they have a, a like a dog type of leader like what Chris Paul is. Yes. LeBron can be this as well. Um, CP3 for sure is like this. They don't still have that person to kind of get them through some of the tough or lean times, like when they're not shooting well. they it's just like, all right, go to that guy. You know, if it's Giannis, it's like, okay, they just build a wall, no one else is making their shots, so we're not afraid of the three-point shot anymore. <clears throat> um, and then also on that note, Giannis being injured does change that team a lot because. When he's in the game, I swear the rest of the players almost get lazy on offense. He's like, yeah, he's got it. He'll get us our thirty points this game, and then we just got to score, you know, seventy-five. But it's like, but if he only puts up twenty-four, then you got to score more. And if Middleton doesn't pick up the slack, who else is doing it? Uh, and also, on the honest note, though, he's still super hard to game plan for. Like, you just don't know what he can do on any. At any possession, any time, like his quickness, his athleticism, his burst, his strength, it's it's crazy
0: and super fun to watch.
1: And that's my recap, or that's my uh notes on the box.
0: Yeah, I think if you're like just quick from Phoenix's perspective, it's very hard to game plan for Giannis, because it's like you almost have to just kind of hope that he shoots poorly from – well, he will shoot poorly from uh, three and the free throw line generally, but it's like you almost have to bank on those things because if those things are going down too, and he shot seven for 12 from the free throw line, which is probably really above his average. Um, it is.
1: He's shooting like 52% or something this year.
0: Yeah, right so, exactly. Six. Like even if even if the free throws are falling for him, that's easy mm-hmm. points because he does make frequent trips to the line throughout games. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Milwaukee just has to, you know, keep feeding him the ball, obviously, and letting him go to town, hoping that, you know – he's going to be not only scoring, but getting to the line and uh, making those annoyingly long free throws. Um, well, and also on that
1: note too, if he gets to the line, you're hoping some of those fouls go to Aiden because Aiton is a pretty darn good per- rim protector and defender in general. And he's also a very good offensive player where if Milwaukee has to go small, which they did in game one a little bit, Aiton's going to destroy them you're not going to be able to go small and and have a not
0: feast on some of those lobs. That's what he did. And. Yeah. And like continuing on with other players, drew holiday and Bobby Portis. Like they need to show up and play adequate defense. They did in the Hawk series and drew even showed up offensively. Um, I think it was that game six or game seven.
1: Yeah. But those are the two games without Giannis.
0: Yeah, exactly. And we didn't see that much at all in the game one against Phoenix and was just kind of quiet and didn't He's like 4 for 14 from the field, he didn't really play that well. It was just nope. like kind of a complete flip. And so, yeah, if he's this, this great two-way point guard that we're supposed to see and be one of those final pieces for the Bucks, he needs to step up or they're not going to find themselves to be successful in this series. They And like you said before, another glaring thing is the Brooke Lopez thing. Um, and I mentioned like they need to be able to take him out and be comfortable going small. I know Phoenix can just like counter with with Ayton. Um, but you, I don't know, you gotta be able to figure out something to avoid those switches of Chris Paul onto Lopez, because that's they they um did this and Atlanta did this as well. They just hunted for Brooke Lopez the entire Deal. time on offense and were able to just feast that way. So if your booting holes are in the box, like you gotta be able to uh, game plan and adjust for not only game two but for the rest of the series because that's that's not something you want Phoenix to be able to go to the well on because that's easy money. So I, I, I think for the Bucs it comes down to adjustments, continuing to put faith in Giannis, and then um, players like Drew Holiday have to step up. Jeff Teague, actually, he's been on the up and up. He's been he looks more comfortable, kinda excited to be playing in these finals and in the last round too. Against actually him. shooting pretty well too, the last couple games that he's played. Yeah. So that's good to see. Um but yeah, I just think I think Drew needs to step up. Middleton, he he played well. I feel like he could have gone to the free throw line more yesterday. Um, he did get pretty hacked on some of those shots, but he's oh, he has such a nice stroke sometimes. Yep. So I think it's a matter of those those three kind of being the big three factors for Milwaukee. Um, moving on to Phoenix, they just have to honestly like keep playing exact same way they did yesterday I don't know what kind of adjustments they need to make necessarily Um, they were able to kind of go in and out of the pick and roll very well and uh, get great offensive contributions from um, both the cams even though they didn't necessarily play great they always seem to give Phoenix like that extra scoring lift um, and just different looks because on top of of just having different looks Phoenix kind of stacks themselves with all these shooters too and they take a lot of threes. Um, and so they're just, it feels like they're always constantly lethal and loaded on offense. Like they might have dry spouts, but they're just kind of ready to go on a run at any given moment. Even though I don't think their pace is that fast. Like I think they play with one of the slower paces in the NBA. Um, yeah. It seems like Chris Paul really, really slows the pace down a lot. Uh-huh. And it, 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 it works out though, because they, they swing the ball quick too. They, they, do a really, really great job sharing the ball. Um, I'm trying to think of what other one other thing I was going to say about Phoenix. It'll it'll come to me.
1: <laughs> All right, so I guess I'll hop in here then. For me, um, especially after the Sarge injury, <clears throat> the Suns' depth is going to be super key because with Sarge out now, can they survive with Aiden off the floor against the? I'm going to call them the Burly Bucks because. Sometimes they run not freaking four power forwards, pretty much, or, or or a center and three power forwards. Because mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we're gonna play. Uh, what's his face? Bobby Portis at the three. Giannis at the four. Brook Lopez at the five. And then sometimes we'll just for the heck of it, you know, we'll do with the seven foot four wings. Bam is like six foot four, <clears throat> and we'll put PJ Tucker out there too. And it's like, okay. Can my or can Phoenix like handle that on like the especially on the on the offensive glass for the for or their defensive glass? Like that's going to be interesting because while they don't they don't even need to play you know necessarily Lopez, but like I don't know if Phoenix is going to run Kaminsky out very much if at all because he's just not very good. Uh-huh. And then it's, then it's them playing Jake Crowder at the five with like Torrey Craig at the four or technically Cam Johnson, but like they drop Tory Craig on defense for, to play the four position and then. It's just I don't know if they can handle that. So interesting to see how they how they try to do that if the Bucks go big because why go small when you can punish them going big? Mm-hmm. Um and then also I was kind of curious because I didn't see it, but we, we've seen it a couple times in the playoffs, just a little bit. Um but why haven't the Bucks really targeted Booker when he's on the floor to make him A expend more energy on defense so he has to play both sides and B take advantage of the fact that he doesn't have great defense. Like why doesn't Middleton working a pick and roll with whoever's covering uh whoever's covering Booker so that he gets him in the garden. And then it's just like what PG thirteen did in the previous series. Just
0: torture him because that's what he kind of what happens. I think it's um two things. I think it goes back to what you said about the Bucks not really having a leader. And also <laughs> I don't think Coach Bud is like that great of a coach in terms of adjustments or just like offensive game plans, really. Cause like I get when you have Giannis an easy and like sure win strategy is give the ball to Giannis. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Um But like, like you said, there should be interesting switch up moments there where like, you should be using your offensive possessions to make sure that like their offensive possessions, like you said, like tie your booker out on defense. So then he can't expend his, there's not as much to expend on offense. You gotta mm-hmm. be able to kind of play that chess game. And I don't think coach bud plays that chess game very well. Um, sometimes it looks like he'd rather play Chinese checkers out there. <laughs> and uh, I just, and, and same with like, who's ever on the floor. Like you can make those call outs to your teammates and like try to rally and have some, some in-game mm-hmm. player coaching, but it doesn't seem like anybody's wanting to uh, fill, fulfill that role.
1: Yeah. All right. So uh, my next point here was uh, just CP three is just a fantastic leader. Aiden and Booker <clears throat> specifically, but everyone does. You can tell. But they just feed off of his his energy. His, his like kind of crazy that he gets a little bit, but like they just feed off of it and they play they know, knowing their potential obviously. But they just like step their game up to another level because they're like now we can't like we can't let Chris down. Like he's our dude. Like we need to be great for him. And mm-hmm. they're they just show flashes of it, and it just it, it's just crazy what our, what a real leader can do. Because like you know sometimes you're like oh that guy's a good leader, but like they don't inspire that they don't inspire what uh, Jimmy Butler did last year with the heat team. We're like, everyone played so stinking well and they did it for him because he's a, you know, obviously a good player and everything. And it's just, it's crazy to see that coming from, you know, the wolves who have been, I mean, we've
0: lacked leadership on the court forever. It seems like. And my last point is to see them get CP three in there and and it totally changes things like that. And then yeah, being able to feed off Aiden's energy. That's the one thing I was going to touch on. Um, is Booker will feed off of those things clearly, too. And, like, he doesn't get as hyped up or emotional. Like, but you can tell in the way he attacks and he's aggressive and that he makes his shots that those things do fire him up. So Booker needs to continue to be that X factor, too. It's an obvious point, but he's played so well through all of these series. Um, and he just needs to continue to show up and have, like, one or two of those, like, 40-point games because that's as, that's what's going to help seal the deal for Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And then my last point
1: is uh, Playoff Jay, who I have now nicknamed Jay Crowder, because <laughs> he's always good in the playoffs. You, you said, and you're right. I don't think he made a field goal last game. But nope. I don't care because he played great. Because uh-huh. when they went small and they played Jay Crowder and Torrey Craig as their bigs, quote-unquote, he still came up huge. He played good defense on Giannis. Like Giannis is freaking unstoppable, even with the hyper percent knee. He's still unstoppable. You see him in the first quarter? See that fucking chase down block? Tell me that man is not a freak of nature. Um, and, how you put the first play. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, he helped to contain him. Obviously, you don't completely stop him, but he helped to contain him. And give, calling like Paul George play FP, when we already – I mean, realistically, we expect a lot out of him. And he did show up this year in the playoffs. He was pretty darn good. But I want my role players to have the cool nicknames, not my stars. Because I'm not calling Paul George play FP like October 28th. You know, it's beginning the next season. I'm not calling Playoff P at that point in time. But I might call Playoff J Crowder. I might call him Playoff J because who cares? Playoff J came to play. He did. He did. Uh, but yeah, I think he might be my favorite player in the series considering Sarge is out now.
0: Even though I don't like Sarge that so much because he's not that good. I know I've had my fair share of vocal, quite vocal hate for CP3. But that's just because I want him on my team. And, like, he's so... Like, he's just so sneaky and just a little devil sometimes. Like, that whole jersey untucked bullshit. Um, We don't have to go into that. But, like, he... For me, seeing him, like, go out there and ball in that third quarter specifically, like, that dude deserves a ring.
1: Yeah, but pretty much all dudes deserve a ring. Let's not not, not just say it's just him. No. Because... Yano's Yano's two-time MVP, like, literally, sure, it's the regular season, looks unstoppable in the regular season. I'm like, I actually, as much as he kind of terrifies me, and I might pee my pants if I make eye contact with him, Brook Lopez is like one of – I really like Brook Lopez. Super underrated big who has completely transformed his game. Do you remember when he came in the league and he was terrible on defense and mm-hmm. he couldn't shoot? All he did was like good post work, and now he barely posts anyone up, just spots up for threes from anywhere, and he's a legit good defensive <laughs> center. Like, people that can do that, it's, like, it's super impressive to me.
0: It is, and, like, they deserve rings, too. But I was just, like, CP3 tying it back to what we were talking about in the KG book with him talking about LeBron. You just want to see great players that have been in the league for so long and haven't gotten to that level, that final, like, obtainable accolade, especially when they have so many on their list already. Like, that's just the... the uh,
1: Truth the itself, I wish LeBron never won a ring.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I know you'd sleep easy at night or easier.
1: <laughs> yep. Eat his hair plugs. he go burn in hell.
0: <laughs> uh, well, I think that wraps it up for uh game one summary. And then just kind of our outlook on, on the playoffs, uh, the rest of the NBA finals and like what we expect from these teams and what they need to do to kind of bring that ring home, which is exciting because both teams like Phoenix has never won a ring and Milwaukee's Milwaukee has the almost
1: in 71, or I believe they have Wilt Chamberlain and Oscar Robertson
0: so that was kind of a given, I would feel like well, I think Boston was definitely still
1: a thing at that point in time so I don't know
0: so, it's exciting, like we said it's yeah. refreshing to see different teams in the NBA Finals, and this should be a good series so, looking forward to it, looking forward to covering the rest of the games with you next week
1: sounds good to me
0: all well, right, well, time to sign off. Yeah, stay
1: classy, San Diego, straight out of Minneapolis. Peace.